Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Trevor, and I'm one of the pastors here at Eagle Naz. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. Well, it's such an honor uh, to be with you all. Thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for coming back. Man, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. Sunday night football, but you all are here. You all are here. And maybe for some of you, um, you're, a, you're a Packers fan. There's one of you here. He's in a white sweater. Oh, there's two of you. There's three of you. Okay. Wow. Yep, there he is. There he is. Looking. Oh, there's another one right there. Okay. I won't say anything about cheese curds. Um, I want to. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's so good to be here. And I'll say, tell you a, a number of years ago, um, I had this buddy of mine. Um, he was in his 60s. He, for about 25 years, he and his wife, two or three times a week, would go to the state penitentiary in Illinois. And they would go to different jails in Illinois. And they would just meet with prisoners. And they would spend time kind of teaching the good news to prisoners, listening to them, praying for them. And I'd get an email every once in a while from Tom, and Tom would say, Steve, will you join me and go to prison? And I, I always wanted to, but just to be honest, my schedule was a little too busy. And he just kept hounding me. And finally he just said, hey, it's in the scriptures. I'm supposed to go meet with prisoners. And I was like, okay, you got me. I'll come with you. I get in this car, and you got to understand about Tom. He's in his 60s, got a great head of hair. Uh, everywhere he goes, he wears a brown leather jacket. He's got a, a, a mustache, looks like Tom Selleck from Magnum P.I. It's just perfect. And, and he, he, just, he just told me, hey, when you're in prison, you got to be yourself. I said, okay, don't try to be anybody that you're, that you're not. They'll see right through it. I said, great. Just be you. I'm like, okay. So we get to prison. We walk through kind of the security. We get wanded. We go through. And we're headed towards all of where the men are in Statesville Prison, one of the most difficult prisons in Illinois. And Tom becomes a different person. It's like he forgets what he taught me in the car. And he starts walking. And as we're getting closer and closer to where all the cell blocks are, he starts screaming, Louie! Hallelujah. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing, man? We're in prison. Like, keep it cool. Remember what you told me in the car? And he goes, what? It's my call sign. I'm like, your call sign? Who are you? And he's like, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And I'm like starting to get a little like uncomfortably nervous. Like, I don't mind being in a different situation, but I want some level of control. And I don't know who this man is becoming right now. And he just starts screaming, hallelujah. And I'm like, Tom, seriously. And he goes, Steve, Luyah, it's short for hallelujah. And you know what? Many of these men need to be reminded that what that word hallelujah means is to praise the Lord. And when I show up into a room that's filled with so much darkness, I want to remind them even in dark moments, they can lift up hallelujah. Is that okay with you, Carter? And I was like, <laughs> preach. And so he then goes, Hallelujah, and I kid you not, all of a sudden there was like this chorus of Hallelujahs from the prison. And these men were saying it back, and they recognized something. They recognized something that their friend and their pastor, Tom, was there. And it was an amazing moment. And, and I, was, I was looking at these men who were behind bars, many who had been neglected and forgotten. 
And I was listening to them, even in the midst of their circumstances, lift up Alleluia. And, and I'll tell you this, that I think for many of us, we go through seasons, seasons in the desert, seasons when it's quite difficult, seasons when it doesn't make sense, seasons when the unexpected hits us, seasons when we didn't ask for something happens, and it gets really, really hard to lift up Alleluia, doesn't it? And in Psalms 150, verse 6, the last line of the entire book of Psalms, and I love the book of Psalms because it's just so powerful and it's so real. I mean, you've got David writing out, it's like reading his, his journal. And you've got David sometimes reading and reflecting and praying and singing songs about, God, why are you letting my enemy win? He goes, he'll say things like, man, I just wish their heads would be crushed and their blood would pour out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know what I mean? It's just like, what in the world? Right? And he, he just would have these moments that were so real and so honest, but it was like getting it out of him. But then he, he ends Psalms with just this powerful line that everything that has breath, praise the Lord. That everything that has the gift of breath, lift up a Luya. Now, I've been really, really fascinated by breath lately. And that probably sounds quite bizarre. But I've been thinking about this verse, let everything that has breath. And it's pretty wild because, you know, scientists will tell us that we all inhale, exhale about 18 times per minute. And you can do the math of that and what that looks like in, in the course of a day and in the course of a year. And, and really, they'll say if you live to the 80, it's like you've almost inhaled, exhaled 790 million breaths. Just, and the idea is that every breath that you inhale, exhale, are you lifting up Alleluia? And I've been thinking about how often I waste breaths. And then something started to happen in my life this past year. This is a picture of my dad. And uh, my dad is pretty early, and my mom remarried, and this man took me as his own. And I remember going to a judge in Malibu, and I got to uh, change my middle name because Charles was my biological father's name. And, and they, they told me, and I was four years old, they told me I could choose any middle name that I wanted. And so I didn't tell my parents. I just wanted to tell the judge. And so I'm standing in front of the judge, and the judge says, Steve, you can choose whatever your middle name is. What, what do you want? And I said, Poncharella. Um, so... Uh, my mom looked at me and said, nope, it's going to be Ryan. Um, so, um, but, but this man, he, he just kind of took me under his wing. And um, a number of years ago, he called me thinking that he had mono. And he got, went to the doctor. They did some blood tests. And they found out um, his, his white blood cell count was off the charts. And they rushed him to the cancer hospital. And he had a form of leukemia. They pumped his body with 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 obviously radiation and chemotherapy, and um, it didn't work. The, the, the cancer came back really, really strong, and so they, they took him to the University of Michigan, and um, a woman that I don't even know, never met um, in Germany, out of all the entire bank in the marrow world, she was the only, only one that was a, a complete match, and she donated her bone marrow and was brought over from Germany and they put it into his, his body, and it extended his life. And um, in April of this year, I got a phone call that he was being rushed to hospice. And I got on a plane, and 
Um, I flew out from Phoenix to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I sat by his bedside, and he took his last breath. And it's kind of a wild story for me because I, I think about just how fragile it all is. Life is so fragile. I mean, we have these breaths that we can sing. We have these breaths that we can praise. We have these breaths that we can shame. We have these breaths that we can slander another. But yet the invitation is that we would be people with every one of the gifts of breath that God has given to us that we lift up Alleluia. But let's take this idea even farther. And you've got to stay with me, but I promise it's going somewhere. There was a man in the 17th century, he's a Dutch scientist. His name is Zans Ingsenhaus. He's a real person, I'm not making this up. And Zans Ingsenhaus realized that when you brought a plant inside, something happened, it died. And, and you gotta understand, the elementary understanding was if you, if you had a tree or a plant that had great roots and you added water, it would grow. But what they came to find out was there's more stuff going on. And what Zahn's Ingsenhaus discovered was the process called photosynthesis. Now, I'm going to take some of you back to 10th grade biology class. Some people here are in 10th grade biology class and know this already. But what I want you to know is this. Photosynthesis literally means from the light. It's powerful. And what's so amazing about photosynthesis is there is a process that Zahn's discovered that I think is an absolute game changer. And here it is. All right. For photosynthesis to work, obviously you need plants, you need good soil, you need roots, you need water, you need sun, and you need humanity. And here's the whole process. You have light, and light gives off energy. You have light, it gives off energy. And the leaves, they capture that energy. I've got dance moves. You got light, you got sun, it gives off energy. The, the leaves capture that energy, okay? And this is what happens. This energy breaks up the scientific name for water is what? Ooh, that's some high quality H2O, yes, right? So here's what this energy does. You got two atoms of hydrogen, one atom of oxygen. It's going somewhere, stay with me. Here's what you have. You've got a sun gives off light, lights this energy, leaves capture that energy, and what does this energy do? It separates the two atoms of hydrogen and it releases the oxygen. So tree releases oxygen, we inhale, so we're like, thank you very much, that's very kind of you. And when we exhale, what do we give off? You guys are so nervous right now. What's he talking about? Carbon dioxide, right. So this is what happened. You got a sun, gives off light. Light's an energy. Leaves capture that energy. The energy breaks up the two atoms of hydrogen, releases oxygen for us. When we exhale, we give off carbon dioxide. Our carbon dioxide mixes with those two atoms of hydrogen, creates a sugary substance called glucose that actually feeds the plant. Why is this important? Because none of you woke up this morning and were like, hey, what are you going to do today? And none of you, when you were asked that question, said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bring my A game to breathing. None of you, as you walked by trees in the parking lot, walked up to a tree and were like, ah, there you go, buddy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So fresh and so green, green. That one's for you. None of you did this, right? But everywhere you go... You are giving off life. Without you even knowing it, I want you to know that you're giving life to nature. Like the way God has hardwired you, without you even knowing it, to be someone with your very breath that gives life to nature. Let's take it even farther. What's the most holy name to the Hebrew people? Anybody know? 
Yahweh. And this is what it looks like in Hebrew. In the Hebrew alphabet, there's only 22 letters. They don't have vowels. They've kind of added them in later. But of the 22 letters, only 19 of them have phonetic sound, like ah, be, ke. And Yahweh is made up of yod, he, vav, and he, three letters. And the rabbis will tell you that these three letters have no sound. There's no phonetic sound. So the question for thousands of years has been, why would God give himself a name made up of letters that literally have no sound? And then the poets and the prophets and the rabbis begin to discover, oh my goodness, it's the sound of breathing. That every time you breathe, you make up a letter and you proclaim a letter that makes up the most holy and sacred name. Yeah. To the Jewish people, they're like, every time you breathe four breaths and you've just said the most holy, sacred name. You could be sitting with someone who's like, there's no such thing as God. And you're like, that's funny. You just breathed his name. (laughs) Why is this important? Because God has hardwired you, whether you know it or not, to be someone who gives life to nature and to be someone who can give worship and praise. This is who you are. This is who God made you to be. And here's the thing. If God's hardwired us to be people who give life, man, he wants this to be what we choose in every area of our life. I love Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's some of the last words that that Moses and God give to the Hebrew people before they enter into the promised land. And one thing that, that is just spoken And Moses says, you know, hey, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses. It's almost like a a covenant, a contract, a marriage that's happening. This day I call heaven and earth. They're going to bear witness to how you choose to live. That today I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. And then they say these three words. Now choose life. And the word choose in Hebrew is the word bahar. Let me hear you say bahar. Well done. Now here's what bahar literally means. What you choose, you boldly proclaim is the best possible way to live. So so here's what Moses and God want you to know. Every day, you have choices. And what you choose, you are boldly proclaiming is the best possible way to live. Sociologists and anthropologists would tell you that you all have 35,000 choices you make on an average day. You know what it's like? You're waking up and your alarm's going off on your phone. And so what do you do? First choice, snooze. You get nine more minutes. And then nine more minutes later, it comes again. And you snooze. And if you're maybe in middle school and all of a sudden you know that you got to take a shower, you've got a choice that morning. And you go, no, I'm not going to. Just going to let the world feel me, you know? And, And that's the thing. You have all of these choices every day. And the question becomes, are you going to be a passive partner with God, just going through life, hey God, I'm just breathing, I'm saying your name and giving life to trees, or are you going to actively choose with your one and only life, with your words, with your actions, with your gifts, with your talents, with your treasures, to lift up Alleluia. And this is the story that God wants for us. And too often, many of us just kind of take a back seat 
and just go through life breathing, giving life to trees, saying God's name, but it's not playing out in the marketplace, in the classroom, in the neighborhood, on the field, definitely not on the freeway, you know? You just have these moments where all of a sudden, man, something, and we just kind of pull away. And this is the invitation is that we would be people who choose life. Let's take this even farther. If you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 20. And in John chapter 20, Jesus has some words. And I want to just carry this idea of breath a little bit farther. It says this in John 20, verse 19. And this is after the resurrection. On the evening of, the fir- of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Shalom, or peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Shalom, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, look at this, with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. It's really, really fascinating to me. It's just in this moment, Jesus just says, peace, twice. Walks up to them with like full-on resurrection breath and just says, come here, come here. And he just breathes. And you read this, you go, wait, wait, wait. Why would Jesus breathe on his disciples? Well, it goes back to Genesis, right? And God's creating the first human, right? Out of dirt. That's what Adam or Adam means, dirt man. And he begins to form and shape, places his image into them, and then he breathes life into them, and they become a human being. Now, Jesus walks up to these disciples and breathes on them and says, you are a spiritual being. You are like this temple. And there are these four ideas that I think Jesus is basically saying that are central to how I believe we ought to live our lives. And it's the words peace, mission, spirit, and forgive. Two times he says peace. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. You all have a mission. So receive the spirit. Receive the spiritual gifts. Receive what I have for you and what the Spirit can do within you, the third person of the Trinity, and let's be people who forgive. Well, let's talk about this idea about about peace, because I think for many of us in this room, we're struggling that we don't have the kind of peace. And I think it sometimes prevents us from living this invitational life, because for many of us in this room, if we're really, really honest, we're struggling with anxiety. And you know what anxiety does? Anxiety turns our peace into pieces. That kind of oneness, that sense of security, that sense of I'm okay in my own skin, that sense that, man, I am God's and I am good, and all of a sudden the sense that I can't control it all, and little by little you just start to feel this fracturing happening within I love what Peter writes about this. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5 that we are to cast all of our anxiety on him because he cares for us. 
And he's a total fisherman, right? So many of you are fishermen. And the idea like is, hey, let's take kind of this anxiety, this sense of fear, this sense of unknown. And he's like, I'm just gonna put it on the end of my reel and I'm just gonna cast it. And I'm gonna cast it towards the cross, towards the one who actually can care for me. A number of years ago, I was in Bible college and I was in my Greek class and I was led by this incredible man by the name of Dr. Nolfel Staten. He looked like Kenny Loggins, which was just awesome. And, and, and Nolfel's such a great name, but, but before he was a, a pastor and like scholar and, and just Greek professor, uh, he ran the air traffic control tower at O'Hare Airport. And he would tell me, if you want to know what real power is, real power tells United Airlines you can't land here, and I'm rerouting you to Milwaukee. I'm like, that's what happened? You know, real, real power is telling someone, Delta, you can't take off. You're going to sit on the runway and wait till I give you orders. I just started thinking about this, and this, this is uh, in Phoenix, the, just an amazing-looking air traffic control tower. It's beautiful. I was in Portland recently and I got to go up to the air traffic control tower and, and kind of work with some of them as they brought planes in and allowed planes to take off. It was just amazing. But one thing that Dr. Nofel Satan told me is, you know what's amazing? You choose what you allow to land in your brain and your heart. And he's like, what if you saw yourself as an air traffic control tower? I started really thinking about this. I remember in this college classroom going, man, I'm allowing all of this negative thoughts, all this fear, all of the anxiety to land, and then I'm giving it time just to land into my heart and into my mind. And I started to think, you know what? Maybe my air traffic control name with Phoenix is PHX. Maybe it's SRC for me. And when some kind of negative thought wants to come in my brain, you know what I'm doing? I'm rerouting it to Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> Go spend time with the Buckeyes. You know what? It's like some negative thing. You know where it's going? It's going to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, because get behind me, Saban. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I'm going to send it over there. And I just started doing this. I'd be walking, and all of a sudden, like, because here's the thing. I want nothing to affect the joy that God has put within me. I want nothing to get in my way from being someone who chooses life, who chooses to bring blessing. I don't want to go through my life, and maybe you remember this song, I don't want to go through life being a passive Christian. I don't want to go through life who's just going and just, just kind of breathing, but not living out my faith. And, and here's the thing, the enemy will use anything to get you from living your one and only life for Christ. And so Jesus is like, peace be with you. And then he says it again, peace with, be with you. And then he goes, man, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Every one of you, you've got a story. Every one of you has a purpose. Every one of you has a reason that God has put you here for such a time as this. And then he doesn't just leave you there. He gives you the Spirit. And for many of us, our Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And we don't really have a relationship with the Spirit. And all of a sudden, what you begin to see is, he says, receive the Spirit. Receive the gifts. Receive how this Spirit is going to do something within you to make you whole and holy. And we'll talk about this more tomorrow. And then he says, be people who forgive, because that's what I did. 
That's what I came from. That's what I'm about. I think it's just this beautiful piece of that he breathes on him and then basically says, now go. Now go. I want to look at one other time where breath is mentioned. And it's when Paul is talking about this book. You can turn with me to, to 2 Timothy. Or 2, P, 2 Timothy. Yeah, what am I talking about? 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it says this, which I think is so powerful. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love this. All scripture, many of you might have this in your translation, all scripture is God-inspired. Right? It's inspired by God. And inspired literally means like heaven's breath. And here's the idea, is like the pages on this book, it's as if God has breathed into them, has breathed these words into the pages. As he breathed into the first man, as Jesus breathed onto us to be these spiritual beings, God has breathed life into this book. Now, what does this book do? It says, oh man, four things. It's for rebuking, correcting, teaching, and training. That's what this book does. And what's amazing, though, is I know for many people, many sincere Christ followers, this book, there's just a lot of fear. And as I talked about today, if we're going to live an invitational life, we've got to live deep with Jesus, and we've got to know this book. And for many of us, we open this book and we live with authority over it. But there's something so powerful when we live under its authority. When I'm writing messages and I, I'm, I'm trying to study the text, I ask questions of the text. But when I'm in my chair in the mornings and I'm reflecting on God's word, you know what I do? I allow this book to ask questions of my life. I allow this book to breathe life into me to breathe correction or training or even rebuke or teaching. So why? So that I can live a life that models what Jesus is all about. Friends, when you live this book, it's like you're extending heaven's breath farther. When you live this book, it's as if you are living out of the God's inspiration and then can go inspire others. But here's the thing. I began to realize that for many of us, the thing if we're actually going to be the people who go after our friends who are far from God, if we're going to be the people who try and live out the teachings of this book, if we're going to be the people who, who go on and live our life and mission in, in our schools and in our neighborhoods and in our cities, you know what it takes? It takes humility. Profound levels of humility. I've come to realize, and you'll talk to people who are spiritual directors, and, and these spiritual directors will tell you, you know, some of the essentials for spiritual growth, and they'll say, number one, stay humble. Number two, stay humble. And number three, stay humble. It's really, really hard to stay humble. And sometimes what so happens is we just go from being just passive partners with God, just breathing, giving life to trees, not even knowing it, Days where we're totally connected. Days where we're just doing our own thing. And the invitation for us is that, man, we would live our life in dependency with God. And I love, I love how Peter says 
And Peter was someone who, man, I just connect with because there were days where he just went off and did his own thing. He was passionate. There was fire in his life and days where there was just fear. But he says something so powerful. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. When I lived in Southern California, um, I needed to get a haircut. And I, I went to Supercuts, but there was a long line. So I got in my car and I drove to Great Clips. There was a long line. I just needed a haircut because there was a huge function for our basketball team that night. And I remembered that there was... Um, this place in downtown Fullerton called a salon. I, I'd never been to a salon before. I'd been to a saloon, but never to a salon. And so I, 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 get, I get in my car, I drive over there, and again, we're in like bougie Orange County, and so I, I, I drive in, and I, I walk in, and I say, hey, I, I need a haircut. And this is, you know, early 2000s. The guy looks at me and goes, it's going to be $35. I was like, that's a lot of money, but I, I need a haircut. And he goes, $35? I'm like, I'll pay right now. I know I don't look like I have money, but I'll pay. And, and he's like, okay. I'm like, can you take me in for a walk-in? And he goes, ah, I think so. He goes, can you fill this out? And I'm like, I'm not looking for a job. Um, <laughs> he goes, no, 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 this is what we do. We like, to, we like to ask questions of the people that were cutting their hair so that the stylists know what to talk about. And I'm like, California is so weird. And so like I, I'm sitting just answering with random 80s answers and, and just I, I submit it and then I, I sit and I wait. And then all of a sudden, I hear someone come from the very far back and they call me by name. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And they walk towards me, and this woman is just peppy and alive. And she looks at me, and she goes, all right, Steve, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take you back. We're going to wash your hair. We're going to cut your hair, and then we're going to style your hair, and you're going to be so good to go. All you need to do is you need to go in this closet, and you need to put on a schmock. I said, a what? A schmock. I'm like, what's a, what are you talking about? She goes, a schmock. I'm like, I've never been to this place before. I don't know what you're talking about. She goes, walk in this closet. Just take your shirt off. There will be one black schmock hanging up. Put the schmock on and then come out. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to wash your hair. We're going to cut your hair. We're going to style your hair. And I was like, this is amazing. And so I walk in this closet and there it is. One black schmock. And so I take my shirt off. I put this one on, but it's very, very tight. And the buttons are on the other side. And so I'm like, okay. And so I only can button up two buttons. So like nine chest hairs are showing. And it's tight in the arms. And so, again, this place is stuffy. And if you want to see me get really, really, like, nervous and make dumb decisions, just put me in, like, bougie situations. Because I just, all of a sudden, it's like the spirit of um, Tommy Boy comes over me. And I'm like, I'm going to make everyone laugh right now. And so I open up the door and I'm like, fat man in a small man smock. And I'm like dancing. And I'm like looking at this girl who, and I'm like, and her eyes are so big. And I'm like, fat man in a small man. And I'm trying to make her laugh. And she's like shaking her head. And then I look over here and there's this most adorable 70-something-year-old woman looking at me in the mirror with curlers in her hair. And her eyes get big. And then she turns her chair and she screams, what is this young man doing wearing my shirt? 
I'm going to tell you one thing. What's amazing is there are times when you get humbled, right? There are times when you do something so, so amazing yet dumb, right? But here's the thing. What this passage is saying, and let's put it up again, it says clothe yourselves. Like this is your decision. This is your choice to clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Not to power up, but to allow yourself to actually think better of the other person. And I love this because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. We know the leadership axiom. Pride comes before the fall. But can I give you the kingdom axiom? That humility comes before the honor. That when you are prideful, what you're saying is, I don't need you, God. And I don't need this. And I don't need you. And I don't need you with my finances. And I don't need you with how I raise my kids. And I don't need you with where I go in my business. I don't need, that is pride. And that becomes an entrance for the enemy to go after your heart. And what will end up happening is slowly but surely, you will just be this passive partner with God, breathing life to trees and saying the letters that make up God's name, but your life won't be what God wants. Your life won't be what God longs and desire it to be. And I love how that passage just continues. If we can bring it back up one more time, please. Thank you. It says, man, Humble yourselves. This is our responsibility. When you humble yourself and go, man, I'm going to try my best to live my life in accordance to this book. And I love it. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And it might look different. God might lift up another person in one season, and he's still shaping and forming your heart for some ministry area or for some opportunity, but your job is to humble yourselves and stay someone who's willing to trust and stay faithful. And when you live like this, connected under the authority of Scripture, true to the Spirit, living in peace, on mission, receiving the Spirit, and choosing to forgive others, I'm telling you what, God in his timing will lift you up. And it's powerful. I believe that God is a God of props, and I've been talking about trees. Let me just finish with this. I, I think when you, when you read the scriptures, that day one and day four, there's a similarity in the creation account. Day two and day five, there's a similarity. And day three and day six, there's a similarity. And Jewish rabbis often connected the idea of trees with humanity because we all have the potential to produce good or bad fruit, just like a tree does. And so you'll be able to see this connection all throughout the scriptures. You get into Psalms 1, you, you see Jesus talking about this, you, you see it in Galatians, it's all throughout. And I believe trees are just an amazing, amazing picture I was in um, Santa Cruz, California. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a bizarre little hippie town. And, um, and it's kind of weird because you can surf in the, like, in the morning and then drive a mile up the road. And then you feel like you're 8,000 feet up. 
because there are all these redwoods everywhere. And I don't know if you've seen redwoods, but redwoods are stunning. They're 35 stories tall. They're over 2,000 years old. I mean, they're incredible. And you just look at just this picture right here of the bark. And, and, and the picture is just insane because what happens with it is you gotta understand, car, like builders love redwood. They love it so much because when, when they actually kind of cut this down, it is so strong. It's fire resistant. It's bug resistant. It's drought resistant. I mean, the wood here is incredible. At the base of every redwood, the trunks, holds 8,000 gallons of water. And let's just, let's just keep it on this picture right now for a second. What's so incredible about redwoods, and I can tell you all about it, is like they literally, they literally, there's this like race to chase the light, and they grow so quickly. And they grow and they grow and they grow because they, want, they drink fog. 40% of their water is from drinking fog. And they drink this fog and then they fill up this like trunk filled with 8,000 gallons. But you would imagine that a tree that's 375 feet tall, that their roots go down 100 feet. But they only go down nine feet. What's amazing is in England, they planted redwoods by themselves. And when they planted redwoods by themselves in the 1700s, in a scientific journal, someone said, it's very interesting that when you plant them by themselves, they don't do very well when the wind comes. These big trees just would knock and fall over. But you know what's amazing? Is these trees, their roots only go down nine feet, but they actually go out a hundred feet. And they connect with other redwoods. And scientists are beginning to discover that redwoods talk to one another. In America, we don't talk to one another. We text each other, but we don't talk to one another. Redwoods talk to one another. And they are discovering that when one tree gets sick, the other redwoods that are connected and interlocked with one another stop their growing, and they begin to send nutrients to the other tree. And all of a sudden, begin to help this tree grow. Let's take it even farther. Have you ever seen a picture like this? where all of the redwoods are in a circle around. And they're just like, it's like this, they call, it's just an amazing, have you guys ever seen like a picture like this? You know how this happens? One redwood tree connected to all of these others, something happens and it falls down. And everyone thinks that this one fallen redwood tree is dead. But all of a sudden, it's dropped seeds when it has fallen and then it starts getting the nutrients still from other trees and out of the bark and out of the branches and off of the ground because of seeds that have fallen, all of these redwoods begin to grow around a fallen tree. I begin to realize that this tree is actually still alive. You know what that is? The gospel. You know what I mean? Because this is what happened on one Friday. There was one tree and they're like, oh, he's, he's dead. And heaven was just getting started. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all of the nutrients and all of the power from heaven created this story of resurrection. And 
what happens is when we gather, we gather around this fallen tree that is actually alive. And what happens is we are in Christ. We are connected. We are so interlocked. And the truth is, many of us are just living by ourselves. Solo Christianity. And I'm here to tell you, Christianity has never been a solo sport. It's always been about people together, interlocked. And we read the New Testament. It's all these stories of one another, one another, each other. It's all of this connection. So let's take this even farther. Do you know what they call this? What scientists call this picture? They call it a cathedral. Scientists. Because they see the spiritual symbolism of one tree that's fallen but still giving life and all of these trees growing around it. And then it's called a family that creates this forest. And so here's what I started to think. Can you imagine if we understood that for us to go out on mission in Eagle and Meridian and Nampa and, and Boise and all the places that God has put before us, and we go not just on our own, but we go connected. Connected to God, connected to his word, connected to each other. And there's moments when we're suffering. There's moments when we feel anxiety. There's moments when we're not living in peace. There's moments when we're living in, in sin. There's moments when we, there's struggles. And there's going to be moments where we got to do what the scripture says and confess with one another or bear with one another or pray for one another or love one another or honor one another or be devoted to one another. And all of this moment just becomes so powerful. And what's incredible is when you actually live this out and you invite someone in, they show up and they see something about you all that is so wildly different. They see some sense of love and commitment, not just to Christ and not just to his word, but to each other. And it looks so foreign to what they've experienced in the rest of the world. And it's so refreshing though. And they find themselves going, I don't know what this is, but I want that. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to invite you all to stand, young and old, to stand. And you're all like, what's this guy going to make us do? You don't even know. Here's what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have you hold hands. And you can cut across in the aisles. Because I want you to see this. I want you to see... We are like these redwoods. And you can't just grow by yourself. We're going to need each other. We're going to need each other to spur each other on. We're going to need each other to say, man, like, how's it going living out this invitational life? It's hard. It's really hard. I keep getting rejected. Well, me too. Welcome to junior high all over again. But let's keep going it. You know, we don't want to be these passive Christians. We don't want to be people who just breathe God's name and breathe life and go through our day. We want to be people who live our one and only life on mission, filled with his peace because we've received his spirit. We want to be people who forgive. We want to be people who keep welcoming people into the family of God. When you understand that, you understand the beauty of the church, the beauty of a healthy, vibrant, thriving Church, young and old. That's what I love. I love that the high school ministry is here. I love, I love that, you know, we've got some young ones here. I, I love that we've got people from a retirement community here. 
wisdom here, energy here, life here. And you have the chance to invite people into something so special. And when you've experienced the blessed assurance, you get to give that away. And so let's sing this. If you don't feel comfortable holding hands, you can let go. But let's sing this song, Blessed Assurance. And let's, let's really say, man, with just our breath, let's lift up a Let's lift up a song and see what God does.